But about the time Dan Bailey missed his third kick of the day, uh, I had to go to the little boy's room and pray. Uh, And I literally am watching Dan Bailey miss that kick as I am projectile vomiting into the toilet. I'm sorry. This is a raw podcast. Happy Monday afternoon, everybody. This is the Green Light Pod. I'm your host, Chris Long. Uh, this is my flu game. This is my I'm Willis Reed right now, you know, out of the tunnel. I have been having a GI issue. Now I know what you're thinking. You probably have COVID. Maybe I do. I don't know. But it feels a lot more like food poisoning. At the risk of opening the show with TMI. <laughs> I spent a lot of the day yesterday praying to the porcelain gods during the uh, Sunday slate. And I was intent on doing a pod at night, but I just could no longer focus. I haven't eaten since I ate Raising Cane's yesterday uh, via Grubhub at noon. (laughs) That was like, I I started to feel sick Saturday night. And I thought to myself, well, if there's anything I'm really excited about eating, it would be a big Caney hat combo with the Texas toast and the fries. Of course, it gets here. I don't get the alert that it's been sitting outside the door for 10 minutes out in the cold. <laughs> I ate it. It was delicious. Raising Cane's has the best sauce. Had a nice big Sprite that came with it. I uh, thought maybe I was around in the corner. But about the time Dan Bailey missed his third kick of the day, uh, I had to go to the little boy's room and pray. Uh, and <laughs> I literally am watching Dan Bailey miss that kick as I am projectile vomiting into the toilet. I'm sorry. This is a raw podcast. It's just the way it is. I'm feeling a little bit better now, but the last thing I have eaten uh, as of noon Monday, 1230 Monday, uh, is that Caniac combo. So it's been 24 hours, no food. I'm just turning this into a fast. Uh, man, I hate being sick. Hopefully I'm good. We'll see uh, the way I feel the rest of the night, but I just couldn't get that pot out to you uh, this morning. And I apologize. But I'm not really sorry because, like I told you guys last week, I'm I'm going to be a healthier podcaster. That means sometimes if you're not feeling well, uh, if it's 3 a.m. and it's not working, uh, I'm just going to podcast at my leisure. And I think you guys are down for that. So I appreciate you. Listen, it is tech week. It is hate week. Is if I'm you know I'm Virginia Cavalier. I got some Virginia fans that probably listen to this podcast. Uh, anybody out there? know about the Virginia Tech Virginia rivalry well it just became a rivalry again they had beaten us 15 years in a row including four while I was there it felt like a hundred and last year uh, Bryce Perkins and those guys got the monkey off their back our backs the, the program's backs off Charlottesville's back and they kicked the door down and it, it feels like with Bronco Mendenhall making this offense really competent the defense physical um that we are trending up and we are building something and justin fuentes is struggling a little bit to right the ship in blacksburg what goes up must come down maybe but we got to take care of business this week right we got to take care of business i'm super excited about saturday going down to blacksburg with a chance to hold that commonwealth cup for two years hey maybe we can't get it done 
there was a lady Saturday night watching the Virginia Tech Clemson game that had the floor. Okay. There was a review in the first half that didn't go Tech's way. And uh, obviously, in an empty stadium, fans have more uh, opportunity to be heard than ever before. <laughs> Here she goes. Rolling on the field is confirmed. Runner stopped short of the goal line. Thank you, Jeff. So I, I tweeted, I, you know, I, I did, I did the stay classy tweet, but it wasn't like a stay classy. I I'm, I'm shitting on tech fans. It was like a stay classy San Diego. <laughs> uh, but y'all took a personal, I don't blame you. It's hard when all you had was a 15 year win streak in the sport of football and it's over and the, the program's trending down. I get it. You're, you're really sensitive right now. Just try not to put too much on this game this weekend. Hopefully we beat you up. It might be two years in a row. You guys have a, a, a long-standing, great program. I said this I said this over the weekend. I tweeted it. You know what, Tech? I took four fat L's to you in college. I mean, talk about showing up on campus, the, the big rivalry. You never get to beat them. I'll never beat them in my entire life. I'm 35. It's over. It's been over, right? I have never beaten Virginia Tech. That bothered me so much for five years. Well, three to five years. I don't remember how long. But then one day I woke up and got over and I was like, did I, did I hang on to high school bullshit in college? Uh, I used to literally have dreams. This is no bullshit. Recurring dreams that we were playing tech and I was in the locker room and I couldn't get my pads on. And I was just watching. It was almost like you were drunk trying to put your pads in your pants, which is a whole process as a player. And you're always up against it to get out on the field. For some reason, I would be just stuck. Like I could not get my pads and my pants on and I'd watch the game kind of dwindle down on the screen in the, in the locker room. And then I'd get ready and I'd go out and everybody was coming back in. And I don't remember if we beat tech or lost to tech and in, in all those dreams, but I had those dreams for a couple of years. That's no bullshit to say. I haven't thought about Virginia tech other than like a few weeks a year as a football fan, the last 10 years or whatever it is. That would be an understatement. I am totally at peace with not beating Tech. I'm just a fan. Um, so I'm hoping these guys take care of business this weekend. But what I did say is, and I want to clear this up, I don't hate Tech fans. I do not. Especially a year like 2020, I'm not going to do this like argue online um, really divisively with people over a football game. We disagree on enough stuff in this country, and uh, it's been such a shit year. You know, novel coronavirus, all that stuff. I'm not going to scream at Tech people online. It's all in good fun. I hope we win. But you guys are terrible at making people hate you. I tweeted that Saturday night. You guys beat me four times in college. You've had a vice grip on the football matchup for the better part of two decades. And I still can't find it in my heart to hate you. That just means you suck at making people hate you. So take that for what it is. I don't know if I'm complimenting you in like a backhanded way. I have a lot of friends that, that went to tech, uh, some people in my wedding, that sort of thing. Some of my best friends went to tech, they're Hokies. I really don't have a cultural issue with tech. I just want to beat you. Now, if you, if you were a Maryland grad like Scott Van Pelt or Tory Smith, yeah, you'd be the exception, not the rule. If I got along with you, uh, I do respect tech. Uh, I hope we kick your ass this weekend. Hey, 
the music thing. All right. We got, um, I, I mentioned this last week and of course <laughs> in true making an eye fashion, we fumbled rolling this out, but I said last week, we're getting rid of, uh, the intro music that we have. And some of y'all really like the music. Some of y'all have been, you know, um, you haven't given it a glowing endorsement, but I haven't really paid attention to it because to be honest, when you're doing a podcast, the last thing you're thinking about is the music and it takes time to go out and replace intro music. I think the music served us just fine. Uh, but I said this year, actually last year, I told my guy, Ian, I said, Ian, shout out to Ian. I need you to start. Like, I'm going to make a list of like 10 songs that I would love to have, you know, introing this pod. Can you go try to get that done for me? it is a process, you know, like you go to these groups, um, and it's going to cost you money. Some of them aren't real keen on it. Some take a while to get back to you. You know, some of the artists are passed away and you're dealing with the family. I mean, like it is a process to, uh, to get music for your intro. We are changing the intro. Uh, we cleared, uh, I guess you would say cleared a sample of one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite artists. Uh, and we will be rolling that out real soon here. So what we said last week, really impulsive on the Friday pod, and you know, the Friday pod, it's like a shit show. Um, it's just two dudes bullshitting. It's a lot less nuts and bolts football. We said, Hey guys, if you pop into the comments, guess the correct artist, you only get one guess. Uh, you have a chance to go to Disney world. That was just on the spot. Macon made that up. And I went along with it because I think it would be really f fun to send a green light correspondent down to Disney world. If they can do it safely to see what that place is all about right now. Um, hell, you know what? You can take your significant other. If you get the artist, correct. You can take your significant other down to Disney world on green light studios. Dime. You got to bring a GoPro and a microphone. Um, but I realized that there's no way for us to correspond with you. If you've commented and left the five-star review, I encourage subscribing. I encourage five-star reviews. If you're listening right now and you haven't done that in a while, if you have never rated us five stars and you're, you've been religiously listening to us, help us out, man. You know, I appreciate you do it right now. You know, open multiple windows in your phone. Just do it. Pull the car over, you know, um, stop for a second give us five stars. Thank you. Subscribe. If you haven't, if you think it's any good, but don't leave a comment with, with the band or artist name, your best guess. do that on Twitter. Okay. You're going to need to direct message the green light, uh, handle, uh, green light with Chris long on Twitter and DM your one guess for what artist is going to be playing this intro, uh, on our podcast going forward here. If you get it right on your first guess, you're going to Disney world. You got to be the first one to get the artist or band. Correct. So rush to Twitter, DM us fucking Disney world, man. You get the Epcot center all to yourself. You can stay in, you know, all you can go stay where Danny green stayed, where LeBron stayed. We probably won't put you we, you know, like some of those Lakers players had, but like I said, Friday, a lot of water features, cranes, wildlife, shit like that. Less people, presumably. It's like a dream going to Disney World right now. I don't know if there's a ton of it is in Florida, so it's probably packed. But if you get if you get a chance to go to Disney World right now, that's like your dream opportunity to visit Disney World. We will send you there if you get the artist right. Uh, hey, 
picks for the weekend. We're going to start doing this. A little twist on giving out picks for the entire Sunday slate. Me and Stanford Steve did it last week, and I think I was around 500. This weekend, Macon and I, uh, for the first week, and we'll do it next week with a graphic, decided to pick the entire Sunday slate. So the record will reflect that next week. And I know you're going to be like, why haven't you guys done it all year? Well, we didn't fucking think about it. Okay. This weekend, your boy was on a little bit of a heater with his picks. Cowboy Reed can, uh, can attest to this. We sent the picks in uh, before the game. I went seven and five. Macon went one and 11. Okay. He claims there's an asterisk by his tally. He would have took the Colts if he did it over. So here was the twist on, on our picks. And, uh, and we'll be doing this the rest of the way. We're going to let our lovely wives pick as well. I mean, talk about carving our own niche in the podcasting world. The minute we drop this weekly graphic, other podcasters are going to be shaking in their boots because if their wives find out that we're doing this and including their wives in this activity, the heat is on them. Hot seat every other podcaster that's married that sees, uh, that sees the fact that we include our lovely wives in everything we do. Shots fired at, at Big Cat. Shots fired at you know PFT. I don't see them doing a graphic with uh, with their significant others, their lovely wives. They should get to pick too. You know why they should get to pick? Because my wife won the whole fucking thing. Okay, Meg won eight and four. I went seven and five. Meg went eight and four. Megan's lovely wife, Kate, uh, went four and eight, but she did beat out her husband. <laughs> and Kate picked picked against all my former teams. So I don't I don't know uh, I don't know if that was a shot at me. In summation, and I said this to Macon, I said, you know, our house must must be the best house. And uh, his response was, the best house is the Waffle House, which is where I'm headed. It's clinched. I lost our Thursday night time machine. Uh, there's no way for me to get back into it. The lead is insurmountable. The deficit is ins- insurmountable, I, I should say. Uh, we've been picking Thursday games, me and making all season long, and I can't seem to pick any of those. I, I had more picks right yesterday than I do on Thursday night games all season uh, in the head-to-head with making. And the loser of that, of course, has to spend 24 hours in a Waffle House. I'm down, man. You get one hour off for every waffle you eat. I don't know if I'm going to eat. I'm going to try to cram waffles down my gullet or if I'm just going to enjoy the – the service, you know, 24 hours to myself. It's like a vacation, bring a book, do some podcasting, uh, do all the stuff that dads have to do, uh, you know, when they sneak into the other room to check their phone or check the score, that sort of thing. I might spend a Sunday, uh, watching football in a waffle house. Okay. I might spend a Saturday, get my devices, bring a couple cell phones and like just set that shit up and and have the whole board on my little, in my little uh, booth at the Waffle House. I wonder how people working at the Waffle House are going to take to me uh, spending 24 hours at the Waffle House. Another thing you have to consider is timing. When do you start? I don't want to be in there with all the drunk people at two, three in the morning, unless they serve alcohol at Waffle House, which I don't think they do. Maybe I'll bring a flask in and party with everybody. But I figure right now in the time of uh, the novel coronavirus, that is not as happening as usual. I could be wrong. There's a Waffle House right here in Charlottesville. Uh, so if you listen to this pod and, and you're involved with that establishment at all, you might be seeing me there uh, in the next couple months. Uh, that is pending the status of this, uh, pandemic, um, man, by the way, I actually had my, my wife, Meg last night asking me what the line, uh, on the Kansas city game was. So she's into this shit. I, 
she's feeling good about herself. Eight and four, just learned how spreads work. The funniest thing was <laughs> I saw the wheels turning and I picked the Eagles and she just cringed and was like, I'm going with the Packers. Okay. So last night, Kansas city got bored. That's the way I see that. Um, you know, Hey, listen, if the Tyreek Hill touchdown, uh, stands, which was inexplicable to me, if, if you're Andy Reid, you get some do-overs, you get some mulligans, but I was watching the, the play and it seemed like I was the only person and you guys probably felt the same way that knew, um, that that was probably a touchdown. Uh, it was crazy to me that they didn't get a, they almost rushed to punt. Uh, they didn't even look at it. Tyreek Hill didn't know he caught the ball. Um, and I get it because probably the way it was setting, you, you didn't know if it was resting on the ground or not. I mean, and uh, the defenders kind of, you know, standing over him. I don't think anybody knew it was caught. Um, and I think if they connect on that play, the game turns out a lot different. Uh, but the boredom that you see from Kansas City, you know, this is the team last year that, that ran it up and down the field against the Bucks, right? And Denver's got a good defense and all that. Division games, close close games late in the year. That's kind of what you expect in division, no matter how good or how bad teams are. But let's be real. I mean, the, the, Chiefs, the Chiefs have a lot of variability, okay? Quarter to quarter, half to half. And this is why this stretch run is so important for them. Uh, I don't think the Steelers relinquish this one game lead. Um, I think it's good for the Steelers to stay sharp into the playoffs, to have Kansas city breathing down their necks. I think it helps them. I think it helps them stay sharp. Uh, I think that if you've got a buy and you, you take, uh, that week off and you week 17, you're kind of shutting it down that, that can create some rust. Okay. Both these teams are going to be sharp going into the playoffs, but Kansas city needs this buy more than, than Pittsburgh does. In my opinion. Um, I know that there's the age factor in Pittsburgh and you might think, Oh, they really, they really need the buy. Certainly it's not going to hurt physically for them to get. Well, they have a veteran football team, but Kansas city is so very variable that, and you be honest, if you're, you're listening to this, you might be a Kansas city fan. I think the chiefs, uh, might be a better football team. Probably are a more, they're definitely a more explosive football team uh, than the Steelers, but Steelers are my Super Bowl pick. And I feel pretty good about that right now because, or at least them coming out of the AFC, because for all the bad games they've played, they haven't lost. Um, and a team like that winning three games, I feel a lot better about than a team as variable as the, the Chiefs winning four. Okay. And that might sound obvious. It sounds like simple mathematics, but the chiefs lived dangerously in the postseason last year. Right. Um, they faced two multiple score deficits right off the bat. Okay. They were rusty coming out of the buy. So maybe they don't need the buy. Maybe what they need is to come right in, uh, and, and, and play that first weekend. But I, I really think they could use it because you fall down to Houston by three scores. Okay. You, you can't live that way week in and week out. And probably from a coaching standpoint, that was the perfect team to fall down three scores to, uh, they survived there. They fall down, uh, two scores to Tennessee. Tennessee's got the four minute ability. Um, so they can pound you into submission and, and just be done with you and, and bleed out the clock. That was a really impressive uh, comeback for them. The way late in the second quarter, they're down 17, seven, and it looks like it's Tennessee's ball game and Tennessee had beaten them earlier in the year, but 
you can't do that week in and week out. And that's why I'm saying they really need that bye week not to get well. I actually think it probably make them a little rusty as they exhibited last year, but the simple mathematics of the probability that they have one of these stinkers and don't survive the playoffs because they have one more game than Pittsburgh who is less variable. Pittsburgh has not been sexy this year. They've just won football games. And, you know, people are going to talk about the two games tonight. Everybody's identifying this Washington game as a really trappy game. You know, the Dallas game was a really trappy game. Okay. Washington, the respect quotient for them has skyrocketed right or wrong. Um, capable quarterback, capable. Uh, the rookie back has been outstanding in Gibson, the defense, the front. We talked about them from the beginning of the year, although I thought we overreacted because they played the, the the Eagles. I said this week one, I said, you're going to crown that, that Washington defensive line for hitting Carson Wentz 36 times. Well, what's played out the rest of the year. And they also gave him most of those sacks. Washington's D lines physical. And um, you hope that Ben can get the ball out. That's been his MO this year. And that's kind of, that's kind of the collateral damage of him getting the ball out quick has been a little bit of Ben slander, a little bit of like, he doesn't have it anymore. He can't throw the deep ball. They've just committed to being a conversion team. You know, they've, been, they've committed to be a, a dink and dunk team. The run game has to improve, uh, but I don't see them losing this game. Uh, I don't see them losing this game. The Dupree injury sucks. And let me just say this. I'm a big fan of Bud Dupree, man. You know, I remember when he first got to Pittsburgh, people were freaking out about the sack numbers. Bud Dupree's never going to be, you know, a Von Miller. Bud Dupree's never going to be a premier true edge rusher. Bud Dupree is a fucking football player. He does everything they ask him to do. He can rush well enough. He plays the run super physical. He drops in coverage. He makes plays on the ball. And he's just, he's a bell cow. Um, and I got a lot of respect for him. And I love kind of the fact that this year he was finally getting the recognition he deserved. That's a big loss. You know, you already lost uh, your best inside backer. Now you've lost uh, the Robin to your Batman, which makes a big difference. Um, although I, th I still think TJ Watt gets his. It's just there's a lot of unknown about how that defense is going to shake out down the stretch, uh, adding, you know, Dupree to that list of guys who, who, um, who they're not going to see. Um, and you've got Bills Niners tonight. Big question is how much difference does it make that the Niners are traveling for a home game? We talked about it. They're in Arizona, but they're there for the long term. They're there for the long haul for a couple weeks now. They're playing with their backs against the walls in the West. And Buffalo doesn't have any breathing room. So, you know, if you're looking to, to bet that game or you're trying to get a, a lean based on, well, this, this is going to mean more to this team or the other way around, they're both – uh, they're both in situations where they have to win. Big shout out to Joe Judge. Okay, I was going to shout him out anyways. Huge win yesterday. But I read this morning in the uh, little Peter King column there um, that Joe Judge gets the sleep thing. Holy shit. He actually gets it. For years, for years, I would go out west and play somebody and we get home at six in the morning uh, win or lose, plane ride back, landing at four or five in the morning. You get home, you go to sleep when the sun's coming up. You wake up at 2 p.m. the next day. Then you got to be in early the next day at like 7 a.m. It makes no sense. You're dragging the entire week. A lot of players don't want to stay the night uh, because they just want to get their asses home. I was obsessed with my recovery. I would I would have given anything to stay out west 
on a West Coast trip. And it's so funny because a lot of people say, well, if you stay out West, and obviously this is irrelevant right now, guys want to go out, there has to be a curfew, that sort of thing. My ass was in the room so fast on an edible. Are you kidding me? I was going to get 12 hours of sleep. I would have been so happy. The best sleep you get as an NFL player is in the hotel. That's if you're not rooming next to a DB who wakes up early in the morning and plays, uh, you know, young Dolph on Spotify um, through his Bluetooth speaker in the bathroom at 7 a.m., like super loud. That was always an issue. Uh, but other than that, sleep in the hotel, it's gold. And that first night after game, the recovery is so big, dude. When I was young and I was in St. Louis, we used to rip it. We used to go out after game, me and that whole D-line, we would go hit the streets till three in the morning, okay? That was our night to let loose, right? Go kick ass at the stadium and then go tear it up. And we all went out as a group. But then I, I, I got older. <laughs> and one of the biggest recovery bumps for me uh, in my career was when I had to, was shutting it down on Sunday nights. And Joe Judge gets the sleep thing. Rather than guys being tight, dealing with injuries, dehydrated, getting in a metal tube, shortening your hip flexors. I know this all sounds like next level shit to some of y'all, or it might sound irrelevant. But when you have been busting your ass and everything's sore, sitting on an airplane in a, in a seated position for six hours and not sleeping or sleeping sideways in, in the aisle of an airplane, it's just not good business for your body. The best investment you can make is in the health of your players and the NFL team. And that's why I always bitch about like coaches that don't let their players sit in first class on long trips. They, the players are back in coach crammed in like sardines. You need a 360 pound guy to protect your franchise the next day. Like, your franchise, but because the coaches want to sit in, in, in first class and spread the fuck out before they go out to dinner with their wives on a Saturday night and, and, and enact a curfew on all the players, they want to live, you know, in the lap of luxury, the players are back there and coach. It, it doesn't make sense. Invest in your players, invest in their health. Joe judge gets the sleep thing. Congratulations to Joe judge. Also, I got killed for taking issue uh, with people kind of slandering Joe judge, uh, over the spring, kind of inadvertently, he had just gotten hired. Listen, I did a whole pod on the Rooney rule. I, I am all about bettering opportunities for, uh, coaching candidates of color. Like I see the problem it's there. Let's fix it. Uh, but I, you know, it was one day, uh, Stephen a, who I really like was on first take and, and, uh, Swagoo was on there. Who's, who's killing it. Uh, also, I don't think he listens to this podcast, but I think he's going to take a trip down here to me and Swagoo are going to go hunting one of these days. Uh, he's going to take a trip down and, 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 uh, and see what this central Virginia, um, life is all about. We, we had, we had chopped it up about that a little bit. So I'm a big fan of those guys, but I, I disagreed with the dismissiveness that the conversation was framed. I understand that the conversation was, I understand that the conversation was, damn, this keeps happening. You know, like coaches keep getting passed up. But to tack on at the end of that conversation and Joe judge, he's a special teams coach, you know, just hiring special teams coaches out here. Some of the best coaches we've ever had in our league's history are special teams coaches. Okay. Also, I think there's something to coaches knowing, you know, what their strengths are and getting the fuck out of the way in the other phases of, of the game, unless they're really good. Okay. We're going through something right now in Philly uh, where, you know, Doug's kind of on trial on trial from an offensive standpoint, it gets complicated when the head coach is also calling the plays in some capacity. It works a lot of times, but 
there can also be a positive to having a guy whose who strength is on the third side of the ball. And another thing about being a special teams coach is you understand players. you got to coach all the players on your team. When I was in Philly, I had two conversations with Frank Wright. Okay. Um, when I was in New England, I talked to Josh McDaniels a little bit more because we had a history in St. Louis. And in St. Louis, I didn't talk to Brian Schottenheimer or the seven other offensive coordinators that, that we had there over my, actually it was probably like 10, you know, there's something to a special teams coach that gets to see everybody's face, gets to interact with everybody at some point or another, you're going to be in a special teams meeting during a season. And I think that gave Joe judge that gives Joe judge a really good advantage. You worry about people's, you know, coaches, people skills coming out of new England. That's a nice advantage there. And don't get me wrong. That first press conference, I was like, Oh shit. My man is, I think he, you know, he, he would have scared me right out of the hotel and training camp with that press conference. And you know, it's physical and Leonard Williams and these guys talked about it. Like at first, the fact that they're openly saying at first, we were kind of spooked by this Joe judge guy. The fact that they're openly saying that is that they love this guy. Like that proves that they love this guy. Cause you wouldn't say that if you didn't love him, you know, you, you wouldn't even put that out there. He has this locker room. You can see it. Um, and again, I get the frustration with everybody's hiring practices in the NFL, but I thought we were very dismissive talking about Joe Judge because of special teams and everybody hates New England and I get it. And not all the coaches pan out and we overvalue uh, assistance coming out of New England. But I will say this, this weekend, and I can't remember a time this ever happened, New England disciples, branches of that tree, including the roots of that tree, Bill Belichick, 3-0. and Because O'Brien, Matty P., on the couch, B-Flow, uh, Joe Judge, Bill Belichick. That's probably the single best day for New England, uh, you know, understudies in recent history. Um, and so I think that Joe Judge can be enough of his own guy and keep that New England edge. Uh, he's a Philly guy. He's a tough guy. I mean, this team started 0-5, and they lost one of the best backs in football for the year, okay? They had to win two games with Colt McCoy now. Um, including the one we just saw yesterday. Uh, they've played up to everybody they've faced. Um, you know, earlier this year, Macon and I were talking about them possibly being in the sweepstakes for Sunshine. But over that span, they lost one score games to the Bears, the Rams, the Cowboys, Washington, the Eagles, the Bucks. Then they played a couple bad teams and uh, they got some confidence and they finished and now they have a real deal win. Now, the one thing that probably when you look back at those games that has nothing to do with coaching or it does, depending on you know what situation you're putting your quarterback in. But when you have a quarterback like Danny Dimes, who's kind of M.O. has been to give the ball up to the other team and in situations that have nothing to do with Joe Judge. That's what's holding you back. I mean, they, maybe if they don't turn the ball over, they're looking at being an eight, nine win team with everything that, that we've considered. If they stole a couple of those games earlier in the season, I know, you know, if, if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk, but like, this is a team I respect right now. And Joe judge is the reason. Um, and the Cardinals better be ready. They play them this week. Cardinals, I think are out, uh, but they could definitely be out this weekend because they could lose to the giants. And, and actually, I'm looking at the Giants. They could split and salvage uh, the honor of the NFC East and be a seven-win team. Because if you if winning a division at seven, teams have gone on and won playoff games. 
in, in those situations. There was, a, I think, a seven-win team last year in the Eagles that won the NFC. So, um, as for the Seahawks, maybe the, the least trustworthy team out there. I got to look cl- closer at what happened to that offense. I mean, Pete Carroll looked confused. Uh, I still, I still think they probably find a, a way to win the West. Um, we used to kill that offense in St. Louis. We used to get after their ass, go f- six and ten, and watch them in the Super Bowl. Okay, like we would kick their ass. I think the the year they won the Super Bowl against Denver, we had held Marshawn to like fifty yards rushing and them to like seventeen points on Monday night, and still found a way to lose. Like we'd sack Russell. Man, Russell Wilson's made me more money. Okay, so this team can get cold. And like we've said, this team could win any week. They could lose any week. And that's a pretty poor job they've they've done in the NFC East the last two weeks because I think one of the biggest leads that got buried uh, out of last week because we were so enamored with the Carson Wentz debate is what the fuck? The Seahawks made that really really tough uh, going there and beating an Eagles team that's doing nothing offensively. And again, that defense is tough and they've, they've, they've made things hard on Russell in the past, but whew, not a great two week stretch for them. And, and it's not like they've just had one isolated incident of offensive ineptitude. This is now a second spell for them. And Russ is out of the MVP race. I mean, that was my MVP to come into the season. And they're my Super Bowl pick out of the NFC. I'm not going to bail because I would love to get all the big gigs for celebrating uh, or for, for predicting uh, Steelers over, over Seattle. Uh, there's still an outside chance to get the right score and everything. You know, at that point, I'm probably not podcasting anymore. I'm probably just getting whatever great job is out there. You know, right? Because if you predict the Super Bowl, it's like a life changer. I don't know, honestly, if anybody would fucking notice. I'd probably be pushing socials out left and right, and everybody would ignore me. Russ didn't look good yesterday. Took five sacks, dropped dropped a snap, intentional grounding. His first pick in three games, it was just such a struggle. Um, and they're going to have these days because that's who they are. Um, so hitch, hitch your wagon to them if you must. And I did it to start the season. I'm not going to jump off the bandwagon. I do... I still do think they win the West, but it would it would take a hell of a run for them to win in January, and it looks like they're going to need four games to do it. Also, shout out to uh, Kornacki, the guy from MSNBC. Uh, I don't watch a lot of MSNBC. I, I, I don't watch the news, okay? I'm not going to – because, like, when you say you watch the news, it gets political. But I was watching him a lot election week, and that was some nerve-wracking shit. This was a lot more relaxing watching him break down the the viability of the Vikings make the making the playoffs than it was uh, Donald Trump winning the electoral college. It's just the stakes were much different. It was like, oh, that guy, holy shit! I'm not having a panic attack. This is cool. He is good at the board. The one thing I found out about him is he's a he's a Patriots fan, uh, but he's only been a Patriots fan for 15 years, which I respect his front running admission there. But he's from Ohio. Speaking of the Patriots, New England, uh, I mentioned the day that their disciples had yesterday. Bill had a great day. Bill had a vintage Bill day. Okay. You throw the ball for 60 yards. You win 45 to nothing. I stand by my New England comment. They're not contenders, but they're going to spoil somebody's season. When I talked to a guy in that locker room after the Baltimore game, the sense was that this team was really turning the corner. And I was kind of like, oh, you sure? Like... Yeah, they're kind of turning a corner. And again, I don't think they're contenders, but they're going to fuck somebody's year up. And I am so pulling for them to slide in. I just like seeing Bill do. It's a lot like watching 
Sean Payton do what he's doing down in New Orleans right now. Okay. And by the way, you see the gap that was closed in three weeks of prep. This, this Taysom Hill thing is not forever. Uh, you beaten the, the Falcons twice and the Broncos. Okay. But it's still just a testament to how great Sean Payton is. Now, I don't know if there's some, I don't know if there's some angle with, with the saints where, you know, your cap is so fucked next year. You just, you just take the year you, you play like army football and you see, you know, you see just how great Sean Payton is. I suspect he's as great as, as, as I think he is. Uh, but I don't think Taysom's a long-term quarterback of the future. I don't think Cam's a long-term quarterback of the future in New England. But you play with the hands you're dealt. And I think Bill is taking a lot of pride in doing what he's doing right now. I think he's enjoying this just as much as having a 13-win team. He is seeing how creative he can be. And he's seeing how complimentary uh, the football team can be of each other when it comes to sides of the ball winning on special teams. Uh, listen, yesterday there was a graphic on CBS and one of the main things was don't get beat on special teams. What do you do? Uh, you get a punt block, Devin McCourty, Dev, uh, you're older now, but you look pretty fast running that ball into the end zone. I was pretty impressed with that. And um, what else? Did they? Oh yeah. The Gunnar Oshevsky punt return for a touchdown. I mean, so it's 14 points right there in a game. That's a pick them. It's over, dude. It's over. You don't give up scores on special teams. You don't give them up on offense uh, where you hand the ball to the other team and it's a pick six or fumble return for a touchdown. Those are just things that, that, that crush you. And when you give up 14 points worth of them, it's over. You also, this was the vintage bill. This is the best rookie quarterback he might've ever faced. Okay. Um, in recent history, 43 rating. Okay. And I'm not going to pass any judgment on Justin Herbert over this one. Uh, interesting game this week, LA. I'm really looking forward to that one short week for, for new England, how they travel. Evidently I hear they're staying out West for the Rams game, but the Raiders couldn't stay out East, uh, over the last two weeks between Atlanta and New York. I don't, I got to look at and see how they found that loophole, but if they are staying out West, that's, the, that's the wise move. If they're able, uh, then they have Miami. So the Patriots are going to go uh, two games on the West Coast, then a game in the Caribbean, essentially. Uh, and that's nice. That's a nice break for the guys that live somewhere uh, where it gets dark at 3 p.m. I mean, nothing against Foxborough, but, you know, come on. Uh, you'd rather spend a week in L.A., a week in Miami, any day of the week, especially this late in the season. When it's late in the season, you play somewhere cold and you go somewhere for an extended period out west, your bones just feel good. Your joints feel good. You get out on the practice field and you don't have to stretch for 30 minutes. You know, maybe I don't even need a hot tub. It's like uh, I'm just running out there and spry like I'm 26. The Rams matchup will be huge. Um, I had a guy who who listens to the pod, shout out to Jordan, told me him and his fiance uh, are naming, I guess, naming a baby. Uh, and I have to pick the game. I have to pick the game and she's, I guess, I suppose she's a Rams fan. He's a Pats fan. I, I it was late last night. Shout out to Jordan. I kind of copped out last night. I said, I would just pick the under because I think it's going to be that kind of game, but I'll get you a pick later in the week. Okay. We, we, it's a lot of responsibility for your boy, but did have a nice week uh, this Sunday and, and somebody's going to win no matter what there when it comes to naming the babe uh, interesting game yesterday indy houston ty hilton came back alive what a great catch on the sideline man like right off the bat there was the pick play and that was a great job by trey burton on the pick play and then and then ty hilton with the acrobatic catch i don't know how he got two feet down 
he is such an underappreciated football player and he's had a long spell of no hundred yard games and that sort of thing. I don't know if that ended yesterday, but it'll be nice down the stretch. Listen, the Pittman domino, right? The Pittman domino is huge. Pittman's emerging. TY is, you know, getting back in the fold. This is a good win for, uh, for Indy. I mean, Deshaun, although he's doing it by himself has been lights out. And eventually, though, trying to do it by yourself, as often does with Deshaun, if I have one complaint about Deshaun is sometimes he'll try to do too much. And I can't blame him in a situation like that. He's throwing to nobody, but um, he ends up taking a sack uh, and then a safety backed up down four. And, you know, Buckner was back. They made a big difference. He had a big day. Archie was back. They got a backer back. I do want to, you know, stats and info type people. Justin Houston getting a safety against the Houston Texans in Houston. Got to be the first time uh, an opposing player um, gets a safety that's got the namesake of the home city. Got to be, right? I know that's really important. It's a trend. But this is the type of shit I see sometimes, like when I go on a show and they, they send you notes, like you know your, your, your notes for the week will have stuff like this in it. So I wonder if I just figured out a stat. Put that, you know, some stat guy, let me know. Um, that game was a long walk for a short fall. You had the, the, the fumbled snap, uh, late and you know, that, that kind of solidifies that, you know, if it, if it wasn't already done for Houston, it's done. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is wishing you the happiest of holidays. And to kick off the season of giving, DraftKings has new promotions and odds boosts every day this week. Luckily for us sports fans, there's an abundance of action taking place this week. Football teams are in the hunt to secure their place in the playoffs. While college basketball season is just getting underway, there's no better place to get in all of the action. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code GREENLIGHT when you sign up and get up to $1,000. That's code GREENLIGHT to get a deposit bonus up to $1,000 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of first deposit bonus and first bet match each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Let's go superlatives and get out of here because like I said, I, I know I sound like a million bucks, but... Uh... I've been doing the Team America World Police GIF, um, just straight vom the last 24. And again, congratulations to me on being a hero uh, and and showing up and getting it done today. But I want to get out of here, take a nap. Didn't sleep a lot last night. Um, let's do superlatives, okay? Let's go best plane ride right off the bat. I've had people say I don't talk about the Rams enough on this pod, although I've said the Rams probably have the best defense in the league. Uh, the Rams have a had a great day yesterday. Okay. Good plane ride, short flight home in the evening. McVeigh is full custody. Uh, he has full custody of the Cardinals undefeated also undefeated. This was a stat that I think a lot of people learned yesterday, unless I've been living on a rock, they've never lost, uh, I guess under McVeigh leading at the half. Um, the defense has been great. I just said it. Uh, Murray doesn't look right. And I am counting the Cardinals out at this point. This is a two-team race in the NFC West. I know that, like, mathematically, it's still there for everybody. But uh, I do see this boiling down to the two best teams. And that's Seattle and it's L.A. And I think Seattle wins the thing. Goff, do Goff does big numbers yesterday. And it kind of looked like a dink and dunk fest early. I'm so tired of people going back and forth every week on, you know, Jared's limitations. You know, listen, the ceiling is there for them at the position. 
He is a good football player. I think he takes a little too much shit. He is what he is. There's very few guys that are just fitting the ball into tight windows every week. And Jared was never going to be one of those guys uh, week in and week out, making acrobatic throws. They got a great offense. He runs it. And to his credit, this was a chin check win. Okay. They got punched in the mouth last week. San Francisco had full custody of LA. Uh, LA has full custody of the Cardinals. Um, nothing in that division makes sense. Team to team golf got called out by McVay a little bit and, uh, he responded. And I think, I think that says, well, I, I, there's one thing I'm not going to question about that kid is his toughness, um, or his mental toughness. And the game started on a 50 yard, 59 yard touchdown, uh, by Dan Arnold from the Cardinals. And like, so immediately, you know, you're, you're behind the eight ball on the road. They respond. And then late, they're trying to put the game away. They give the cards a gift um, in the low red. And this has the makings of a football team that's grown because they responded to all those things. They responded to being chin check last week. They, you know, golf got called out. Um, he responded, you responded being down seven, nothing. You responded late in the, in the game when you had it, you played great and you just give them a gift. You give them seven and Drake capitalizes off a fumble. They just kept responding. Okay. And in the big scheme of things, I feel kind of the same way about the Rams and I was wrong about the Rams this year. Okay. I saw them last year coming off that Super Bowl loss and I overestimated what that kind of backslide meant. Um, they've done a tremendous job and they're a good football team again. And that's a hard thing to do after you, you, you get to those heights and to recover this quick and stabilize this quick. They've got some staying power. Uh, you know, no Todd Gurley, uh, Whitworth is, is gone. Um, you know, Saffold left, but they have stayed relevant and good for them. And I think what's interesting about their defense is their defense continues to cement them as like possibly a number one defense in the league. And it's not just the first guy you think of, and that's Aaron Donald. I'm sure he helps, but that secondary is tremendous. And I, you know, I want to, again, every time I a shout out Aaron Donald, I got to shout out Michael Brockers. That one, two punch inside is great. Floyd, you know, has picked it up this year. Um, and the DC Stan, uh, Staley, Brandon Staley has done a great job. I mean, talk about filling big shoes, you know, the Wade Phillips shoes, um, who was really well liked there and a legend in the game, man, that defense is playing well. Um, they're interesting and they get in, they're so matchup predicated. They could, they could look like world beaters against somebody and just, so they're another very variable team, but I got to give them their props. Here's what you came for, Philly. Okay, you only waited almost an hour. Worst plane ride. The Philadelphia Eagles, okay? Philly radio this week is going to be a fucking war zone. They're like literally like wartime correspondents. It's terrible. It's terrible. People are going to be screaming all week. The anxiety quotient is way up. Just if you have to commute in Philly and you like, I just opt for the classical music. Or just turn the, just hit the circle, hit the little circle button and turn your radio off. I promise you it's not worth you hearing the back and forth. Protect your mental health in a time like this, okay? Turn it off. It's just fucking football. Turn it off and drive to work. That flight had to be really awkward, okay? It's just a tough time. When you're on a team like that, everybody's on, on, you know, 
on pins and needles, you know, whether it was, you know, Doug who's on trial right now or Howie or, you know, Jim or obviously Carson. I mean, that's going to be the lead of this segment, but you know, Darius Slay was getting skewered yesterday over not playing well the last six days against two of the top three receivers in the league. The problem is when you're on a bad team, there are very few accountable people and everybody is just looking around trying to self-preserve because it's hard not to do that. Human nature is to be a self-preservationist. And when you're in a building and in a ship that's sinking, everybody is looking at each other sideways. Like when you walk down the hall, you wonder, is that person looking at me and thinking this guy's the problem, you know, and doesn't matter who you are on the roster, you're passing Harry Roseman in the, in the hallway. Am I the problem? Are they seeing the good things I'm doing? If I'm playing well, is that getting lost in the shuffle? Am I being unfairly blamed for the problems around me? You know, um, am I going to be here next year? Does Doug like me? You know, if you're Doug, uh, it's a whole host of issues and all that, you know, is probably pretty evident on a very quiet plane ride home where, you know, guys are not making high contact. You've got Doug, Howie, you've got Carson. Those are the three guys under the most stress right now. And what happens is you avoid making high contact and that's the kind of flight that that probably was let's stick to the quarterback thing. I, okay. And in general, before I get there, I would rather be a New York jet right now than a Philadelphia Eagle. That sounds bold, but neither team is going to the playoffs. Okay. We're talking about the future right now. Okay. I would rather be a Jaguar. I would rather be a bangle. I would rather be a charger. I I'd rather be an Eagle than a cowboy, but this is fucking chaos up there. And I've been on historically bad teams, but when you're inept on this level and you had expectations like they did, notice the places I just mentioned did not have the expectations that Philly did. So that's why it's a lot harder to be in the Philly locker room right now. And by that, I mean, you know, future outlook, but also just how crazy shit seems right now. And I know things seem crazy in New York and you're like, why would you say you'd rather be in the Jets locker room right now? The Jets are a win away from like the best night of their lives, <laughs> the biggest relief of their lives. Eagles could win a game. Ain't going to change much. Um, Bengals, they knew who their quarterback of the future is. The Jaguars, they play in a city where nobody gives a fuck they suck, okay? Um, and also, they have some, some good bones, and a change is imminent. In New York, you know a change is imminent. You know they're going to start over. You know you got Joe Douglas pulling the strings upstairs. You know Gase is gone. You know there's going to be the big ding-dong, the witch is dead moment. And whenever that comes you know, there's going to be hope and maybe you're going to be drafting Trevor Lawrence. Um, if you're a jet, if you can hang on and you're under contract, you could be a part of building something. Okay. In Philly right now, you play in one of the toughest cities to play when things aren't going well. And the trade-off of playing in Philly. And I got to see a lot of people were like, yo, you, you, you made the, the smartest move in history. You, you, you came in, you guys won a Super Bowl. You stuck around the next year. Y'all won the playoff. Y'all got in the playoffs. And then you just chucked the deuce because you never had to see, you know, a struggling, you never had to be on a struggling Eagles team. And I can see that it's tough right now. Okay. It's the best city in the world to play football in, but there's a flip side to that coin, right? Cause people take it seriously, you know, Jacksonville, no expectations, small market. I was in St. Louis for a long time. We were historically bad, okay? I've been on historically bad football teams. But Mondays were just kind of like, hey, if you're accountable, we'll leave you the fuck alone. 
Like it ain't like that in Philly, right? For better or for worse, wrong or right. Let's hit the quarterback thing. Okay. Um, first off, let me get something straight. I love Carson Wentz as a dude. He was accountable last night. He struggled to clap for Jalen. Uh, I know he did. I've been there, not like obviously on this stage, but you know, when I, when I give an anecdote, I'm not trying to be self-important. I'm just, I'm relating my playing career to what, you know, a player might be going through. Like, like last week I, I related, you know, DK Metcalf being compared to Megatron, how that might annoy him. And I've been there with comparisons that annoyed me. That's not to say I'm anywhere near DK Metcalf. Uh, I, listen, I'm not anywhere near, you know, I was never a quarterback in this, in this league. I never had the spotlight on me like Carson. But when I was in St. Louis, my eighth year, you know, my seventh year, and I've told this story before, my seventh year, I got rolled up on and, uh, and broke my leg and, and my tibia and then tried to come back too soon. It was awful. And that really put the heat on me um, for the next year, which was kind of make or break for me. A um, couple games in. Uh, no, that was the year I broke my leg. So, I, so in 14, I had an ankle surgery, tried to come back too soon, was awful, uh, put me under a lot of scrutiny in 15, 15, I'm just starting to get my legs back under myself and I break my tibia in green Bay. So I come back from that game and, you know, I've, I've been a captain. I've played in a hundred games. I've, you know, I've been one of the guys when you come back from a situation like that. And one of my best buddies in football was Greg Williams, who we'll talk about in a second. I can remember going to Greg's office and being like, Hey, what do I have to do to get my job back? You know, like, and he told me, he's like, right now, you know, the way where you are physically, it's not fair to the other players, you know, for you to for you to trot out there, you know, and take the majority of the snaps and and to go out and be in the starting lineup. It's not fair. And I respected that. I, you know, I sat right across the desk from Greg. It was, you know, late fall in St. Louis. I remember like it was yesterday. It was like six o'clock. I just appreciated him shooting me straight. He told me the truth, and that was the only conversation we had to have about it. And what happened on the back end of that was the guy that took my job was one of my best friends in the world, still is, William Hayes, who I respect greatly as a football player. And right then, where I was physically, he was outplaying me. And it was really hard for me to sit on the sideline, even if it was my best friend, and be excited because he was balling out that year. And I was hurt and it just was burying me and I knew I was done, but I tried to, I tried to, you know, muster up some enthusiasm and that's a really awkward position to be in. So when you, when you talk about like, Hey, big whoop, you're cheering for the other guy, you're being classy. Like it's not easy. Your whole world is coming down around you. And Carson has said the right things. Okay. The only thing I don't ever like that Car Carson said is he's kind of come across as stubborn, right? But I'm a stubborn motherfucker. So I'm not going to hold that against him. Uh, he's a good dude. He's entrenched himself in the Philly community. You know, he, he's done the food truck stuff. He's been very giving. He spoke out this off season before so many franchise QBs did on inequities in our country. I talked about how much I respected him for that. If not for Carson Wentz, I don't have the ring that validated my career. This podcaster here. No way we get there without home field. No way we go on the road and, and go on that run. Uh, full stop. And no way, uh, no way I, I think we lose that game, whether or not 
Nick or Carson's plan. They were both lights out that year and the offense was tremendous and the team was great. We were a team of destiny. I've called it lightning in a bottle. Maybe it's looking more like that. And anybody that's mad at me for saying that in that building, uh, if they hear me say it, is being unrealistic at this point. You'd have to prove that it's not lightning in a bottle. But without Carson, I don't have that second ring that I take so much pride in. I don't believe he's consistently that MVP level guy that he was in 17. Because if he is, he's a Hall of Famer, okay? I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I don't believe he's that guy. I, I... And that's not a slight. I mean, and it's not going on a limb on a morning like this to say he's not that guy. We, he's fallen so far from that guy. But I also don't think he's this guy either, okay? I've said that all year. Um, you know, 17, he's an MVP. 18, he's not physically ready. He's coming back from an ACL. Uh, you know, he's rushing back. His back was fucked up. They didn't make it as big a deal as, as they should have about that. I don't think he was right physically. In 19, he overcame a lot of ridiculousness to make the plays he needed to make to put them in the playoffs. By the way, I was right about him that year. Um, and before getting torpedoed into the, you know, into the ground uh, with Jadavian Clowney's size eight and a half head, you know, he had played in in all the games, he'd been durable. Uh, but then, you know, he gets a concussion and you've got, you know, all the talking heads of the world questioning his durability on account of that. You want to question his durability, do it on something else this year. He's been buddy Lee. Okay. Like as a rusher, I would have killed to get 60 snaps against this Eagles team. I would have fucking killed. He has been terrible, but he has been durable. So let's, Let's pump the brakes on the durability thing. I've been really hard on him from the beginning of the season. He's regressed. I remember the Washington game, the flurry of mistakes right before the half. And that was something we talked about. He's eliminating these spells early in the year. And then the spells became full games. It's completely unraveled. And before I say what I'm about to say, I want to clear one thing up. I love Nick Foles like a brother, okay? Me and Nick Foles are tight. We're probably tighter than me and Carson are, okay? The thing you don't remember is a lot of people, a lot of people just don't think about the fact I've been on two teams with Nick Foles. Okay. We were together in St. Louis. I was struggling physically. I was going through the, some of the things that we just talked about. Um, he was bad. Okay. People were calling him pick Foles. We've been there. I've been in the hot tub with Nick Foles in Earth city after just embarrassing games where we both, uh, didn't want to come to work that day. And we sat there and had really hard conversations. And when he came to St. Louis, he like me and Nick had never really met each other, but we hit it off and I've always pulled for him. And, you know, sharing that second run was really special as two dudes who had been somewhere else. Um, so that's why, you know, I think he's one of the toughest, best leaders I've ever played with. You know, I think he's a legend. I think he's streaky. He doesn't have the ceiling that Carson has. Okay. Guy's got a statue. Guy's got a statue. You'll never undo that, but he doesn't have the ceiling Carson has. And the one big thing is having said all that, if you don't cut that, they built a shrine for Nick bullshit out. I built the fucking shrine. Okay. So you're talking to the source. I sent the equipment guys during a Thursday practice to the local gas station, wherever the fuck they sell those prayer candles. And I said, get me like six of the most ridiculous prayer candles. I got Nick Foles autobiography. I'm going to have it half open, half open in the, in the locker. And I'm going to have, you know, the candles out and we'll light them. And I'll, I'll get some incense too. Right. 
you know, a little incense you get at CVS, which smells great, by the way. That's where the Nick Foles shrine started. It started because I liked the movie uh, Major League, and I had a cat growing up named Joe Boo. Okay. It's one of my favorite movies. And I thought like some positive juju for the backup quarterback would keep the team loose. (laughs) And it fucking did. We laughed all afternoon about that. But of course the media and some of y'all that can't drop that narrative that, well, they built a shrine for Nick Foles in, in 18. Do you remember that? That was a clear indication. Like, what the fuck? You don't build shrines for the franchise quarterback. You build them for the guy who's supposed to step in and and uh, and deliver us to the promised land. Like, it's almost like a running. It's like, okay, this is a Nick Nick Foles thing. That's why we did that. It was a joke. I mean, there was an autobiography. I haven't read the book. Sorry, Nick. I want my copy signed. I haven't read the book yet. I propped the book up. It's a joke. If you're using that to formulate an anti-Carson argument, you are a mouth breather. And that includes some prominent media members. I'm not saying you're always like, that's a mouth breather take. Okay. I'm not saying you're a mouth breather. That's a mouth breather take. You only build that shrine to a backup. Shut up. And if you did the, we should have kept Foles thing and that'll make things better. Maybe just sit this one the fuck out. Okay. You don't get a second take after that because Foles has been in two places with bad offenses and it hasn't looked any better. Okay. This is rock bottom for Carson Wentz. I got no issue with the move. When I was a player, nobody took it easy on me. I was a high pick. I've been benched before I've taken criticism. So I do not feel sorry for Carson Wentz because he has not played well enough to keep his job. Jalen hurts may make you marginally better in the short term because he's a mobile guy, more of a crisis manager. Uh, And to be honest, you know, he made some nice throws yesterday. He he looks like he throws a touch ball. Well, okay. Um, he, He throws a touch ball. Well, he got out of some some issues with his legs. The Boston Scott holding penalty killed him that one drive. But you also have to take things with a grain of salt. You know, you're getting ready to play Carson Wentz. All of a sudden, you have Jalen Hurts. And the first drive that we're all oohing and on about is these guys are in, in prevent defense, okay? If Carson's racking those yards up, you're saying garbage time, okay? They tightened up on the, on the next couple possessions. You see a sack. You see a bad pick. You see all the things that you've seen with Carson, the only difference is you got a guy who's more mobile uh, and probably right now is not mentally in shambles. Although I feel sorry for that kid because by all accounts, he's an awesome dude. I love watching him in Oklahoma. I think he's got a future in the league, hopefully, but this is just who wants to be in this situation. I mean, this is a disservice to this kid to be in this situation. And, you know, uh, maybe in the short term, he will be better off because I bet they try to run the ball more. I bet they try to do some simple stuff more with a young kid. But now you better commit. Okay, I have no idea who's making the calls on the quarterback of the future. Okay, but Doug has been given no assurance on his future. So you have to assume that this is at the very least a group decision. At the very least. And the group has selected Jalen Hurts in the second round. The group risked mind-fucking the guy you just paid. And don't tell me Aaron Rodgers is okay. Aaron Rodgers is a fucking robot, dude. If Aaron Rodgers was... Aaron Rodgers is the exception, not the rule. And I hate when these former players are all... That I know were, were just mentally weak at different junctures. 
we all have our moments with confidence and that sort of thing. None of us are bulletproof mentally, but it's so easy to sit at a desk and be like, Hey, crater the roster, draft a quarterback in the second, <laughs> right after you pay a guy <laughs> who looks at a statue of Nick Foles outside the stadium every week. That shouldn't affect you at all. Please, dude. I'm not going to, I'm one of the most mentally tough players you could ever meet. And I, co- a coach will tell you that depending on if the coach likes me or not, I'm sure he'd tell you that, but, but I know I am. Okay. That shit would affect me. So you risk mind fucking the, the guy you just paid by drafting him in the second round. The only way you do that is if you know, he's really good. Okay. If you know, he's really good or if your team's so good that you don't need anybody else. So if the offense doesn't look better with Jalen hurts over the next month, you own that from a schematic and talent standpoint. I don't want to hear, well, he's a second rounder. He had no preseason. No one else had any preseason. Rookie quarterbacks have exceeded expectations all over the league. If you go back to Carson, you're worried that Hurts might prove it's not just the quarterback, which we know might be true. I don't know. I'm trying to be fair to Doug. I'm trying to be fair to the people upstairs. I love Doug Peterson, man. Love him. But, you know, like the Eagles made decisions on on <laughs> – on me walking out the door uh, as a player, I'm not going to sit here as a podcaster and and bite my tongue on. They're just not getting it done as a group. So you've made the decision, you burn the ships and you ride Jalen Hurts and you find out if you were right about the second rounder. Because if you weren't, either you're bad at personnel or your scheme's not right. Don't backtrack now. A guy you've already mind fucked <laughs> and then trot him out against the Saints and some of these teams you're playing up. Uh, playing soon here. You made your decision. I respect the decision. It's probably the right decision this juncture, but I think Doug and Carson are done. That's just my, my two cents. I don't know anything. Nobody told me anything. I'm just using my brain. If Hertz plays well, he proves it was Carson. Your options are having the most expensive assistant coach in football or get something for him. Indy's a sexy pick and I love it the math seems really stacked against getting a deal done or a trade done or that sort of thing. I think the the Eagles would have to eat like 16 of dead cap a year for two years. And I know nothing about the San Francisco cap situation, but I would love to see Kyle Shanahan write the ship with Carson Wentz. And this is me maybe being a homer as far as like guys I play with or people that I believe in, you know, having a second chance somewhere else. But I, I don't think if, you know, like you can't keep both of them after this year, after what just transpired. Either it's either it's the coach or it's the quarterback. You you can't run this back in 21 with the same pieces and be like, all right, we'll try it again. You remember last year where we benched you for a month? This is it. The Rubicon has been crossed. If the struggles continue from everything I'm reading in Philly, Doug may be in trouble. Again, you can't keep both. There's there's now no situation where both can be there in 21, in my opinion other than just hanging on to him as a high-paid backup. I don't have a side in this fight. I love the coach as much as I love Carson. Like, these are people I know. So, I mean, it just fucking sucks to have to speak on this, but I'm just telling you, my hope for Carson is that he's traded. That's my hope for Carson. Listen, I would love to see the Eagles play well over the next month. I would love to see Jalen Hurts get an opportunity with full week of practice and look better and better as the year goes on. I know it's unfair to ask for this kid to ask for this kid to give you the world right off the bench cold, but he's got to give you something better 
well, we know it's not just about the quarterback and Carson Wentz. I do believe that uh, if Carson gets, you know, a prove it deal or this sort of thing, you're going to see that he's not the guy he is this year. And the, what makes it complicated is the personnel is terrible. The team's been snake bit. The scheme could be better. And Carson's playing bad. So you're trying to do this process of elimination thing. Well, I guess here's the only valuable opportunity you have to, on an equal playing field, evaluate Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz. And really, at this point, it's just Jalen Hurts or somebody that's not in the building. If the same staff is going to be back next year. Does that make sense to you guys, man? It's There's a lot at play here in Philly, and this is why I said I might not want to be, you know, a Philadelphia Eagle right now because there's so much uncertainty when it comes to the future. It sucks. And, you know, again, Hertz did some good things yesterday. He's going to do it. He's going to have to do a lot of good things the next month to prove that he's a, a quarterback of the future. And if he doesn't, I mean, it's just, it's confusing, man. It's, it really is. There's a, there's a litany of issues in Philly right now. Um, and Slay, I, I tweeted yesterday something about if you name search Slay, people are so fickle, man. Twitter fans are so fickle. I read the word bum and piece of shit and, you know, what, what, like just this guy sucks, all this stuff, all yesterday. He's banged up. He's playing against two of the top three receivers in the league in the last six days. And some of these throws, he's right there in the pocket. He just can't make the play. The better players are making the play. Okay. I don't think anybody, when you signed Darius Slay, would have thought, oh, he's better than Metcalf. He's better than Devontae Adams. He is a really good player. And right now, the last two weeks, he's been losing battles to players that are better. And my point was stop being so disrespectful and using words like bum and being so simple. If you're mad at the haul it took to get him, go yell at Howie. He's a really good player playing his ass off on a terrible team. And if you, if you made him disappear, that defense is a lot worse right now. So all I'm saying is, you know, it, it's just so easy for ball watchers to just crush a corner, the toughest position in football. And, yeah, you paid a lot to go get him. Take that up with Howie. I know that, uh, you know, Byron Jones was out there and it wouldn't have needed – you wouldn't need to give up any capital to get him. But – Listen, I just I, I don't appreciate. It. I got kind of into it, not into it, but I just I, I I heard a lot of people's complaints about my tweet, which was that oh he's been awful, and you know we paid a guy to be the number one, and he's not shutting down number one people. Okay, he's had a bad ten days, man, and also don't hold that against the player for being a really good player, <laughs> which he's been his entire career. Bad two games. Um, I'm glad he's in Philly. Maybe the hall was a little much. But I'm glad he's in Philly. You had to do something now to write that, you know, to to rectify, you know, that situation in the secondary. And they did something. And the corner is, you know, Darius Slay is far from the problem on this team. What happened out there, Dada? What happened, Dada? Okay, the Cincy fight. B flow is about that action. Okay. Remember, he made it really far in our coaches uh fighting tournament. Did he not? He was in the like the final four. B-Flow Taylor fight would go like Logan Paul and Nate Robinson for sure. I don't even it wouldn't last that long. Um, by the way, the Logan Paul thing with Floyd Mayweather. Celebrity Deathmatch is it's like it's it's a real thing now. Remember the claymation show that some of you older folks might remember from the 90s on MTV or maybe it was the early 2000s. 
I would love maybe not with it w- without the dying like celebrity death match, like just random celebrities fighting each other. I like where we're going with this. I love B-Flow. I'm really happy for him. This is a good football team. They're way ahead of schedule. They're doing all this defensively without a, without like a single game wrecker. Also, what impressed me about them yesterday is they responded in the second half. They were awful the first half. Tua looked shaky. They had like three penalties in a row to start a 10-minute drive. Xavier Howard and Boyd get ejected. Um Xavier saves three points. Really, it was the most bizarre thing in the world. Cincinnati's been holding the ball for, as I said, like an eternity. They're in the high red, and ball goes, play goes out of bounds, and Howard throws the first punch basically, and Boyd gets caught. So you get a flag on Boyd, you get no flag on Howard. They go to review and they throw both of them out. The way that happens, they can't review and then throw a personal foul flag. They can only review and eject people to see if they throw a punch. They both got ejected. It's kind of a weak skirmish to throw people out over, but Xavier saved three points with that ejection. So spin zone, good penalty because he baited Boyd into a 15 yarder and the kick was missed. Uh, they also had a big drop backed up that probably goes for a hundred and touchdown. Um, and they came out and played great uh, in the second half. Tua looked comfortable immediately. Uh, good coaches, good coordinators that make adjustments. Impressive. All things are trending up in, in Miami. And I don't think this is fool's gold as far as the long haul is concerned. I don't know who they are in the playoffs, uh, but they're not a team I'm excited about playing. Uh, and you get Gaskins back. He went for like 90 yesterday. They couldn't get the run game going all year. Good for them. So what's it like being a ghost? Ghosts are dead. I'm very much alive. Hollow man. Dan Bailey, man, uh, of the Minnesota Vikings. Three misses. What is it with Vikings kickers? Three misses. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm praying to the porcelain gods as I watch the third one. And a little background here is I have the Vikings uh, minus three and a half on the alternate line, which is like basically the line to this game was like 11. And it's funny. I gave out the Vikings straight up and I didn't have the balls to pick them. Cause I was kind of worried that the Vikings might go off and run the ball up their ass. I thought maybe the Vikings win by about a touchdown. And I felt safer about, you know, playing the alternate line, which is minus 285 at three and a half points. So for the people out there that don't know gambling, it's a lot of risk to say the Vikings are going to win by four points. And to get to the point where I'm puking into a toilet watching Dan Bailey miss a kick, and actually I'm happy about it at the end of the game, you had a ricochet touchdown from the Jaguars. Uh, Chenault caught a ball that was like it deflected off somebody's helmet. Great catch. Uh, they go down 7 nothing. You had a cook fumble. Um, and then when I needed it, finally, the Vikings make a mistake that serves me well because if they, if they hit this kick, they win by three. I lose my money. So I'm thinking to myself, yes, finally they make a mistake that serves me well. We got overtime. I could still, they're definitely going to try to to score a touchdown, right? Because they're not going to try to kick a fourth kick in overtime. They're going to go the distance, score a touchdown. I'm going to win this bet that could change my whole day. (laughs) No, what happened was they go on this epic drive. They're inside the five, first and goal. They get bottled up, bottled up. It gets like third down and they get a penalty on the five, on the one yard line, false start. They're about to sneak it in. I win my money. Instead, who trots out on third and five from the five? Dan fucking Bailey. Okay. <sighs> and that bled 20 minutes in the four o'clock game. Four o'clock games. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there watching Jacksonville 
Minnesota for 20 minutes and there are good football games on. Also, an interesting thing that developed and as we predicted around four would be developing is the Jets. The Jets have sunshine in the po- in, in their back pocket. Okay. They, they've got sunshine in their pocket. There's a song there. That's a song my kids like. My kids like Bruno Mars a lot. And we predicted this. Okay. The Jets, they do what they're supposed to do. They lose. They got Trevor Lawrence. That's presuming they really like Trevor Lawrence. Maybe they like Justin Fields. For a second, you're thinking the Jets and possibly the Jags somehow are going to get a win the same day, the Jags soon after the Jets. And I explained this last week. They're playing for a tiebreaker uh, on Sunshine if, if the Jets won the game and the Jags we're sitting there in overtime thinking about what they have to do. If you know, you're up in the tank office looking down, mashing the buttons. If I'm the Jags, I'm thinking, you know, and I love Trevor Lawrence. I'm thinking tank at that point, because if both teams have one win on the season, the tie break goes to the team with the easier record. Cause it's better to be bad. Right? So if you, if you have one win against the easier uh, strength, of schedule, sorry, strength, of schedule, if you go one win against the the, the worst strength of schedule, you are a worse football team. The Jets have the tougher schedule. They're sitting there, uh, Jets possibly having won a football game, uh, and the Jags are saying, oh, do we really want to win this game? We want to just deal with this tiebreaker and get sunshine. That's what was happening around 4 o'clock. So even bad games in the NFL are always exciting. There's always a reason. Both teams found a way to lose, so we're good. Jets are still good. Um and the Jags are good for not having be, being completely embarrassed. Can you imagine we look back at this weekend and if Trevor Lawrence is the type of player we think he was going to be? Had the Jets won that game and the Jags found a way in overtime, can you imagine uh, looking back and saying the Jags played themselves out of the, the first pick in overtime, knowing damn well the Jets had just uh, given them a gift? If I'm Trevor, somebody asked me this yesterday, I want to go to New York. Uh, I've said it before. I, I believe in the GM. I believe in Joe Douglas. Gase is going to be gone. Only thing that would scare me would be the quality of that division. And it's interesting to say that about the uh, the AFC East at this juncture. Uh, for 20 years, it was kind of like that's a pretty shitty division, one through uh, two through four. Um, I want to go there because of the money. You make money off the field. I don't know if Jacksonville is going to be a Jacksonville team forever. Maybe Trevor Lawrence doesn't like tall buildings uh, or a lot of money off the field, but that's where I'd probably want to go. And they got a ton of draft picks coming up. The Raiders on the other end of that thing. How about Henry Ruggs? A lot of mistakes yesterday. He's been much maligned. Uh, This was way more of a Jets loss than a Raiders win, in my opinion. Although the Raiders deserve credit, not an easy spot for them. You had the two East Coast trips. I mentioned that 34 to three, they lost last year against the Jets. Self-fulfilling prophecy can be big in a league, right? Where you say, this is a trap game, this is a trap game, this is a trap game. And then players start to, to believe it. It's the first thing that happens. You think that on a trap game Sunday, players haven't been hearing about trap games all week? If I were a coach and I was playing a team that was shitty, I would make it about us. I'm not going to worry about this being a trap game because Players can hear stuff so much sometimes that they start to play it like it's a trap game. They play tight. Uh, And the the Raiders deserve credit because they were in that situation where it looked like for the second year in a row, they were going to go to New York and lose. And this one would have been way worse because although last year they were six and whatever at the time, late in the season, above 500, surprise team, they didn't garner the national respect they have this year. And so this would have been crushing. But really, what's the difference? Isn't that funny? If the Raiders lost that game yesterday, we would bury them under the Las Vegas Strip. We would bury them with Jimmy Hoffa, if that's where he is. Uh, 
Also, you ever think about how much is buried out in that desert? Oh, it's creepy. But you would bury them in the desert. They did lose the game, right? They basically lost the game. Everybody said, like, all Greg Williams had to do was not mash zero uh, at the end of the game, and they lose the game. Really, they lost the game in the red zone, but they found a way to win it. And sometimes, you know, the other team will will lose the football game uh, and you don't have to worry about winning it. I know I'm, I'm bordering on like a Trent Dilfer thing right now, but that was more of a Jets loss than a Raiders win. And the Raiders can take a ton of victory laps around that abandoned indoor ski resort up there. If anybody's been up there outside the stadium, that thing looks like a building for my own legend. That's if they kept it up. There's no like weeds growing on the side. But I just remember every time we played there, that fucking building was just bizarre. It was like there was nothing. On a Raiders note, Furl had a, had a nice day yesterday for for Las Vegas. I just want to share this anecdote because I know people are saying the B word and their uh, their question is um, where he was picked and and uh, also you know his his upside. He's in his second year. I think he just had two of his first sacks of the season. I think he had two yesterday. Uh, they got him rushing inside. You know, it's the, you know, you, you draft a guy in the first round and then Max Crosby becomes your actual stud, you know, edge rusher. His development's been slower than you want, but I'll just say this. Uh, in my second year, I didn't have a sack for the first half of the season. It was one of the most trying times of my adult life. It was definitely the most trying time of my adult life. Uh, I was rock bottom mentally and went to Detroit, maybe the ninth week of the season. And I was playing terrible. They had me rushing on the right and I was so shitty on the right. And I'm just Matt Stafford's holding the ball for like eight seconds by the goal lines. One of the worst sacks in my, my career. It was just pathetic. And I run the whole hoop. Somebody misses him. I think Cliff Ryan, who's a dear friend of mine, missed missed a sack. And I clean up the garbage and the tackle at that point. Uh, I think Jeff Backus was his name. Uh, (laughs) I felt bad for him because I was like, I know he thinks he's just blocking my ass off and I suck. All it took was that sack for me to get off that kind of baseball player slump. And the rest of the season, I think I had five sacks. Uh, so, you know, you do that for two halves of the season, you're a double digit guy, the next four years, you know, I, I, I go off and I end up with a bunch of my career and, and, and I have a nice career, man. I have a really good career. So I would say that to say like this furl kid, I, I do feel for him. Um, I also think sometimes it just takes, you know, that, that play to get out of the slump and build some momentum, some confidence. And also my second year, I was rushing inside sometimes. Spags didn't like me. Spags wanted me out of there. So hang in there, dude. <laughs> You're gonna be just fine. You know, just just stay working at it is what I would tell a young player who's slumping in that column. But good win for the Raiders. Um, now the call. Greg Williams got the axe this morning. Listen, Greg Williams was not tanking. If you know Greg Williams, all he would talk about is that when he's pissed off, he just mashes zero. Okay. <laughs> That's his thing. And one thing I appreciate about Greg is he knows who he is. And one thing he's not is, is a, a tanker. I mean, he would probably rather jump off uh, a bridge than tank. Uh, and I appreciate that Greg is who he is. And that was a bad call. It was, it was just an awful call. Um, the pressure paid off down the red zone. I just remember thinking like when, when, when Vegas was trying to go into score, um, you know, my goodness, Greg must be pissed off and it's working. 
But in that situation, you don't do that. And, uh, it cost him his job, which is another, another thing, like people talking about tanking, why would a coach is probably going to get fired tank in the interest of the franchise? It makes no sense to me. I feel bad for the jets players. If you're under contract for a bit, uh, the big picture will round into form though. I, and I said that earlier, I believe in the guy upstairs. I believe in Joe Douglas. Um, and so just a bad way to end that game. I don't think you'll be forgetting that for a while if you're a Jets fan, but maybe you look back and you, you, you smile thinking about that game, but it's, it's a call that was, was bad enough that, you know, a respected player you know, spoke out on it. And I also thought while I watched that press conference is like, one thing I like about Greg Williams is had he had his job this morning and him and that safety had a conversation, I bet you it would have gone just fine. Uh, Greg can dish it and he can take it too. So, um, I know some people hate Greg. I don't, I'm not going to dump on him. Terrible call. Got him fired. Team's bad. He wasn't tanking. Um, and you know, like to make matters worse, Nelly Aguilar was open the play before. So felt like the equivalent of Nick Nolte defiantly burning the boosters at the end of blue chips and doing the right thing. That would have, that that's what it would have felt like to me if the players had, had won. But if there's anybody in that building, that's thinking about tanking, if it's the owner that's rooting against the team or that sort of thing, like there's just such a disconnect between the players and somebody who's pulling the strings from the top. Nobody out there was trying to lose that football game. Okay. Um, and Darnold might be the least maligned high pick QB that has to, that has to, to leave, uh, of all time. Like they know the deal there. Fans know the deal. Like he's going to get so much leeway. Cause it's been such a dumpster fire. Let's do STL Memorial and game ball and get out of here. The, the, well, the Frank Clark Memorial award, the love of the game award sponsored by the St. Louis Rams. That's Matt Stafford. Okay. I would love to do a, he bought out yesterday, by the way, I want to do a helicopter extraction and get Matt Stafford the fuck out of Detroit, or maybe a helicopter lands and Eric B walks off. Um, Speaking of that, Ron Wood, uh, who I believe is the president of the team, uh, says that, quote, we will follow the Rooney rule, not just in spirit, but beyond that as we search for new um, candidates. So, I mean, take that for what you will. Uh, Stafford Stafford's contract is up after 2022. He's 33 years old this year. Can he be moved? I think he can, uh, four coordinators. This will be his third GM. I would love to see him as a Patriot, but the time is running out for that, that I've been saying this for a couple of years now, the time for that is running out, you know, um, he's going to be getting up there in years, but you know, he's got less mileage relative to his style of football than a Cam Newton. And, uh, He'd be 43 million over two years. I read an NESN article that Stafford and Matt, uh, Patricia, that is, didn't hit it off because Matt yells a lot, et cetera. I don't think, you know, they, they were worried about that Patriots culture. He just got a taste of of Matty P. Why would he want to go to New England? For one, that doesn't matter because Matt and Bill are different. Josh McDaniels is different. Everybody's different, okay? And also, you know, the guy's been playing in Detroit for a long time. You think he's going to fucking reject that helicopter extraction? because they don't smile a lot in New England. Get the fuck out of here. They don't smile much in Detroit either. Um, this was an energized day for the Lions. You know, players spoke out 
like loudly and comfortably about how much more fun they had today. And like, I just think that the situation got toxic there and I am Maddie P's my guy and everything, but it just wasn't working out. And from everything I heard, he was just trying to be kind of authoritarian and you know, you, you, you can't just, you can't just do that over and over again. And when, when a team's losing, continuing to do the same thing is not going to get you a different result, right? That's the definition of insanity. Um, and for the players, you knew because you saw a couple weeks ago, uh, Bill O'Brien left and they came out and they were energized and they balled out and they won the lions beating the bears. It's a really good sign because the bears and Mitch Trubisky funny enough have kind of had their number. Um, and defensively they did, they did give up a lot of yardage and a lot of points, but this was a big win for the lions because they think they're still in it. And Daryl Bevel is one to know as an interim coach game ball. Baker's biggest win. It's got to be Baker Mayfield. Um, next gen stat Baker ran like 237 yards high stepping yesterday. Uh, like literally, he <laughs> was all over the field just doing high knees. My favorite play of the game might have been that reverse reverse pass. And it was a great catch by him. That's one thing he does better than Tom Brady. Okay. That was a great catch. But it's third and two there. And there's a big difference between six nothing and ten nothing. And that's the situation they were in. They were up three nothing. And, you know, the first possession, they didn't get points uh, or they didn't get seven in the red zone. This is if if he doesn't catch this ball, it's probably six nothing. And I think this game turns out a lot differently. He hits Higgins in the corner um, on third and seven, a great throw after that catch. And then Landry for the touchdown. And what do we see on the loop last, last week, those throws in the red zone. Okay. The first possession, I mentioned it, they come up empty in the red zone, just kick a field goal, but it's not Baker's fault. People Jones drops a ball that Baker puts on the money. That would be a touchdown. And then Higgins has a penalty on third and five. So immediately like they don't come up with points, but you're like, this is going to be a different day for Baker. I mean, that was a nice toss. Um, and because he caught that Philly special look and play uh, on the sideline, converted the third and seven in the corner, they were able to really take control of that football game. And Cleveland's had some bad weather for a month straight. So you couldn't even run your offense with some of that wind. And I know that we're talking about, well, it's going to be December and January here. It already is. And there's going to be bad weather. But this was an unseasonably uh, frequent batch of windy weather that they've had to deal with the last month and uh, you can't even run your offense the same. So I'll give them that. Maybe they're heating back up. Uh, but the, the big thing is that this is his best win, right? He, they beat a good team. That's what we've been waiting for them to do. And I think Tennessee is a good team, although their defense might be a deal breaker uh, for them as far as contending for a, a championship um, because they don't really have a strength. Some of these other teams, you can lean on a strength defensively. Tennessee doesn't have a strength defensively. All I see are relative weaknesses. Uh, they've struggled to replace Logan Ryan. You know, we'll see how, you know, the, the trade for Desmond King shakes out when it's all said and done. You know, they, they, it was a bust on, on Clowney, uh, Vic, Vic Beasley. Um, they just haven't had a Jeffrey Simmons is, is not enough. And I love Jeffrey Simmons, but it's not enough. And this was as big an ass kicking, uh, of a, a competent football as I've seen this year, Tennessee and Buffalo, um, ironically, it was not that bad. I mean, Tennessee was down, uh, I want to say, no, Buffalo was down. I want to say 21, 10 at the half. I mean, this was just, this was otherworldly. The biggest difference between the team that lost 43, 13 last year in the opening, and that's the Browns to the Titans, uh, they lost in the first game of the season, 43-13, um, is that Stefanski is good. He's a really good coach. Um, you know, look at some of the guys that got open. And I'm not taking anything away from Baker. 
Higgins open for a chunk right off the, off the bat, the first possession, confidence builder, you know, get into their territory. That's huge. Move in the pocket. Big man touchdowns to Kendall Lamb. You know, the reverse pass I mentioned, Peoples-Jones is open to make it 24-7. That play action, he's just naked. All Baker has to do is hit him in stride. But he did, and that's the key. How many times do we turn on, on TV on Sunday and say, fuck that quarterback, just make the open throw? Um, I think people are unrealistic about quarterbacks in this league. There are very few that are just ripping dimes every Sunday. Baker can be a quarterback in this league. He has to hit his open receivers. It sounds obvious. A guy like Kevin Stefanski can hide a lot of your deficiencies. And Baker has deficiencies. Uh, There are only a couple quarterbacks in the league that fit, fit the ball right in tight windows repeatedly. He doesn't have to be that guy. He can be a Cleveland Brown for a while, but what he can't do is he can't implode in big situations. He didn't do that yesterday. He he played a great game. Um, You know, I said this summer, Stefanski was my favorite hire. He still is. But Baker did make the throws, as I just mentioned, like the Higgins throw to make it 31-7 and close the door uh, that were just beautiful. I mean, he he really threw the ball well yesterday when he had to. So I'm not going to hold it against him that people were open. Um, great job, Bake. Uh, we said we'd be judging you on this stretch of games. You got the Steelers and the Ravens yet to come. Let's see how he and the Browns have progressed. Okay. Remember, the Browns have beaten now two AFC playoff teams. Okay. I, I was kind of, you know, the, the narrative kind of shifts here. Now, I know it wasn't necessarily offense. Indy played poorly against them, but. It's a win, and it's a win against a team that's rounding into form to be a playoff team, and now they have two AFC playoff wins, essentially, under their belt. Um, you got to go do it in January, too, but look around. You'd be surprised, some of these teams. Remember, Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore is a team that everybody fears, and we're finally cooling on them, but just to go, to, go in to show you that these two teams might be two ships passing in the night, it's going to be an interesting matchup here coming up because since Baltimore beat up on Cleveland week one, again, no preseason, none of that stuff, uh, new coach, I think they won 38 to three or something, 38 to 10 maybe. Um, Baltimore has got one win over a playoff team if it started today, and that's Indy. So this is going to be such an interesting game from a barometer standpoint. Um, and for the Titans, man, uh, I do think that defense at this point, unless they do a Kansas city about face, it's a little, it's getting late. It's, uh, it's getting late for you to make that kind of transformation defensively. It's a lot to ask of that offense. It really is. The one thing I'll say about them that's so interesting. They don't panic when they're down. They just run their fucking offense until the second half. And it was, I said the same thing about Baltimore, the Baltimore game, and especially the Pittsburgh game. They just ran their offense. Tennessee, such an interesting team, man. Hard to figure out what their ceiling is this year. Uh, my ceiling is a nap, and I'm going to wake up and watch these games tonight. I'm going to try to get some food in me. <sighs> it's kind of unfair when you order Raising Canes and it ends up in the toilet, guys. But the other way. Sorry to end this pod on a gross note. Maybe I'll, I'll try again. Another Caniac combo. Does it count? Anybody listening here, if you ingest Raising Cane's, an entire Caniac combo and everything that goes with it, the grease, the calories, the sodium, all that, if I have food poisoning from the night before and I do what I did yesterday as Dan Bailey was missing that kick, does that count? Like, do I nutritionally uh, own that that Caniac combo for for better or for worse, or is the damage done? Because I'm considering getting another one tonight. Run it back.
All right, guys, don't forget, subscribe, rate, and, uh, and, and, and enjoy the game tonight. But try to DM our Greenlight uh, account and guess the artist. Um, and you could be going to Disney World uh, if you can guess the artist that we're going to be leading off with. Somebody DM me this weekend and said that the silence when we end pods is kind of unsettling. Like we could use some music uh, to play this thing out. We'll work on that. But the pod is over.